Welcome to another podcast from Generations Church. We trust you will be encouraged today. Hey, welcome back. We're so happy that you've joined us once again today. And I hope that you enjoyed and got something wonderful out of our series that we just finished. Um, Please, by all means, go through our social media, go to our website, go to iTunes, and get caught up on everything we've been talking about through the Easter season this year. Today we start a brand new series. We're so excited about it. And the series is called, It's Complicated, But It Doesn't Have to Be. So many things that we face in life, especially in this day and age when it comes to faith, when it comes to spirituality, I mean, I think more than any other time in the world with 7.7 some billion people on this planet, all of who are practicing spirituality at some level, we have such a dynamic uh, diversity of spirituality anymore. It is so difficult to know where we can be grounded and everything becomes complicated because of that. So this week and in the coming three weeks, we're going to talk through uh, four really important concepts to understanding why, although Christianity can seem to be complicated, it really doesn't have to be. Today we're going to be talking about discipleship. We're going to also be talking about relationship and stewardship. And last and certainly not least of all, we're going to talk about forgiveness-ship. Yes, we made up an entirely new word just for this series. And I hope that you'll tune in for every single one of them because we're going to have a lot of fun talking through it together. So it's complicated, but it doesn't have to be. And today we're talking about discipleship. Now, words like discipleship are pretty lost on most people these days. In fact, if you're not a churchy kind of person, you probably haven't really used that word yourself. Even though we see it from time to time in media, even though we might read about it in the odd book, and even for those who attend church regularly, while we're familiar with the sound of the word, we rarely are understanding or even participating in its true meaning. Discipleship, therefore, seems like it's a complicated thing, but I want to tell you today, it doesn't have to be. And that's good news for us. Following Jesus, although it can look complicated depending on where we are in our particular journey in life right now, doesn't have to be as complicated as the devil wants us to think it is. By the shortest definition, a disciple is basically a follower. It doesn't really need to be more complicated, even though there's more to it than that. But just to simplify what it is, a disciple is a follower. If you're a Gen Xer, and not like a Gen Generations Church Xer, but a Gen X generation person, I don't know what I am. They say that I'm a millennial. They say that I'm Gen X. I was born in 1978, and it's confusing. They have changed the date around that line three or four times. So thank a sociologist for confusing my life next time you see one. But if you're a Gen Xer, I know for sure there is one movie that we will all have in common together. We will all remember it. And that movie, I'm not saying it's the greatest, but it was probably one of the closest when I was a kid. The Karate Kid. The Karate Kid, I don't know about the ones as much that came after it, but certainly the first and maybe the second one were and are timeless movies for my generation. Uh, If you remember the relationship, though, of Mr. Miyagi and Daniel's son, that's what he was in the movie, Daniel's son, you will note that this is what we're going to be talking about this morning. What Mr. Miyagi and Daniel's son had was a discipleship relationship. And it was actually very honest and very, very much in line with how relationships of this sort work in the real world. The student who becomes the student, who becomes more and more like the teacher as time goes on. The relationship 
is a discipleship relationship. And we might simply call it the master and the student. When we talk about discipleship in the Christian faith, we're not talking about checking a political box. We're not talking about a social identity. And even though identity is an important, as is an important part of who we are, discipleship starts basically with this, doing what the master says. Discipleship starts very simply with doing what the master says. It starts with following the master's way, becoming like the master. Now, when we talk about this, we often fail to understand how it is we're going to become like the master, how it is we're going to become, in our case, as those who follow Jesus, how we're going to become like Jesus. But I want to give you three very simple things that will help unlock and simplify this understanding for you. For us to become like our master, we need to do so first in character, then in knowledge, and then lastly, and most likely, in ability. Now, it doesn't always work in that order, but I can promise you, no matter how much ability you have in this life, if as a follower of Jesus, you lack the character of Jesus all the time, you will never understand what it is to have the abilities that Jesus had. If you never feed the knowledge of your spirit with the word of God, you will never be able to have the character or you will never be able to, to do the things or have the abilities we saw people in the early church have. The problem with lots of Christians is that they forget that character is as much a part of discipleship as ability. Or that character is a much, as much a part of discipleship as, as our knowledge. But all of these three must come and grow together. So let's start with a basic verse to guide us into the first steps of following Jesus. Matthew 22, 37 to 40 says this. And he, so Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You must love your neighbor as you love yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and all the prophets. Everyone say all the law. And all the prophets. In other words, everything that God said before, every prophetic word, every prophetic statement of the Old Testament, every law that he gave through Moses, every law you can read about in Leviticus and Deuteronomy, everything that was instituted to show man that we were falling short of God's perfect standard is not done away with, but fulfilled in the reality of Jesus. This is why Jesus says, love God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and all the prophets. You see, once we have believed and confessed Jesus as our risen Lord and Savior, the next step is growing in his image. And I just have to pause because I always forget this. It's important to remember when it comes to our statement of faith as Christians, as we talked about in the book of Romans last week, I just want to point out that the Bible actually says we confess and then we believe. And I've memorized it backwards from my childhood, but I understand. But you see, it's interesting because when we begin to confess something, that's the point we actually begin to believe it. And so many times we're afraid to confess before we believe something. When God's word talks about how there's power of life and death in the tongue and what we speak matters. And so you may want to tuck that away. That might just be for you this morning. I don't know. 
But I think I needed to stop there with you for a, for a moment. So Jesus says everything in Scripture hangs simply on two commandments. All the rules in the Old Testament are summed up in loving the Lord my God. You see, you have to make it personal. It's not loving the Lord your God when it comes to me. It's loving the Lord my God when it comes to me. And it's not you loving your neighbor as yourself when it comes to me. It's me loving my neighbor as myself. Now, who is my neighbor? Well, let me give you a very simple answer for that question. If you can see the person, they're your neighbor. It's that simple. It doesn't have to be your brother. It doesn't have to be the one in your house. It doesn't have to be next door. When you were in grade school, every child that was in your classroom was in your neighbor if you had any kind of a teacher at all. And you learned how to respect your neighbors and their space and their opinion and all of those things. So we need to love our neighbor, which is anyone we come into contact with, as we ourselves should be loved. Now, if taking this concept of Old Testament law and summing it all up in two is, is uncomplicated something, is, is, is failing to uncomplicate, if I can say it that way for you, I don't know how to make it any better. In the Old Testament, there were, in fact, 613 laws. 613 laws. And by the way, since the Old Testament... Mankind across the face of this earth has invented millions upon millions of laws. And here Jesus stands in the middle of it all saying everything, all the law, all the prophets hang on these two. You see, Jesus has a way of simplifying things that were complicated before. So if Jesus has simplified this law into two things, what exactly is a disciple supposed to be and do in order to actually be a disciple, a follower of Jesus? Mathetes is a Greek word for disciple. Primarily, it's used for a pupil or a student. And today, unfortunately, we really only associate words like pupil or student with school. And that sadly places that identity for us at a stage in life that as we become adults, we think we grow out of. But if you've spent any time trying to attain wisdom in this world, you know that we never stop learning. We never stop becoming a student. And the intention of the word in the Bible is to be a follower, to be a disciple. That word, methetes, it's a lifelong process. And I would even go a step further to say it may even be an eternal process. In Scripture, it goes much deeper and much, much longer. But basically, it means to be a follower of someone's teaching. So in Scripture, the word disciple means someone who closely followed a teacher and had a relationship with that person. You cannot be a disciple of someone without a relationship. It won't work. It's impossible. Now, we use the word follower a lot these days, especially in regard to something like Twitter. You know, follow me on Twitter. Jesus never came to say follow me on Twitter because what we mean when we follow someone on Twitter, when we follow someone on Instagram, we kind of mean follow the way a really young puppy follows its new master which is basically to kind of walk along as long as we think there's food involved for us, but the minute we see a butterfly or a squirrel, we lose all attention on 
the person we're following, and we run after the new thing that has gotten our attention. And that's the way we treat the word follower today, but that is not the simple way that Jesus was speaking to us. So you got to throw the Instagram and Twitter follower out of your mindset when it comes to the person of Jesus. A disciple will have a relationship with the master. It literally meant that we would share life lessons, that we were intended to be living those out in real life, in everyday life, the way Jesus did in his three years of ministry after he called his disciples. Discipleship is a word you will hear all the time at Generations Church because it's actually a word we value very highly. To follow Jesus is what defines whether or not we are actually a Christian. To be his disciple is the call. In fact, it was a command. We're going to talk about it in just a few moments. Uh, Bill Hall wrote that a ship added, the word ship added to the end of disciple means the state of or contained in. So discipleship means the state of being a disciple. It is a verb in and of itself. The reality is that this is an ongoing kind of a thing. It really can never stop. Let me ask you, if we are disciples so that we can become like the teacher, then how long should that relationship last for? If we are connected to an eternal God. How long should your relationship as a disciple of Jesus who is eternal last? See, I think I want to make a very simplified point to you. you got to think long term as a follower of Christ. Jesus explains in Matthew chapter 28, verses 17 through 20. When they saw him, they worshipped him. But some were doubtful, and Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. This is the command I was saying Jesus gave. Go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, this is, an, this is a wonderful passage of Scripture. These four verses contain a lot of truth, and they contain an amazing promise at the end. One of the best, maybe my favorite things about being a follower of Christ is his promise to me that he will never leave me, that he won't forsake me, that he will be with me right through not just the end of my life, but the end of the age. So according to Jesus, becoming and making disciples involves two things. It involves baptizing someone in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that Jesus commanded. Now, if you don't understand, I'm going to just explain. Baptism is essentially the symbol of immersion into a divine relationship with God. That's really what it is. It's a symbol of, of immersion into this relationship with God, this divine relationship. Jesus had to tell John the Baptist to do it, to baptize him so that all righteousness would be fulfilled. We are baptized in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because we are being baptized into his family. We are being baptized into his, for a lack of a better term, his trade school. 
We're being baptized into his way of thinking, into his worldview, into his way of being and doing and loving and going through this life. Baptism is about associating with the character and the identity, the knowledge, and the ability of God. To be a disciple of Jesus to be is to be immersed in a relationship with the Trinity. And that's a privilege that came uh, at the greatest cost. It came at the cost of the life of Jesus Christ. David Platt writes this, Disciple-making is not about a program or an event, but a relationship. As we share the gospel, we impart life. And this, in, is, this is the essence of making disciples, sharing the life of Christ. This is why disciple-making is not just about going, but it also includes baptizing. So the other part of making disciples or helping people become followers of Jesus is to teach them to obey all that Jesus commanded. Teaching what Jesus commands both gives and preserves life. So many people right now are walking around, even in the church, they have a lifeless look in their eyes. They're separated from easy relationship and things have become more difficult. And it breaks my heart to see sadness in people who are supposed to possess the life of the living God in their hearts and in their spirits. But doing what Jesus commands, we need to know this, gives and preserves life. Jesus actually said this, if you love me, you will obey what I command in John 14, 15. If you love me, you will obey what I command. So let me ask you the hard question. How are you loving Jesus right now? <laughs> he goes on to say this, John 14, 21 to 24. He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. Verse 22, Judas said to him, Lord, what then has happened that you are going to disclose yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and he will come to him and make our abode with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the fathers who sent me. Now, I'm not too sure if you caught this, but something interesting happened in this little exchange. Judas, not Judas Iscariot, asked Jesus a question. He says, wait a second, why, why, what's happening with this whole revelation? You know, the disciples were walking around with Jesus thinking that he was coming as a warrior king and was going to deliver them from Rome. And they had to really battle that the culture Jesus was bringing was more to do with heaven than earthly culture. And you might struggle with that too. Judas asked what I call the squirrel question. When we're going along and we're teaching our kids or we're teaching someone a certain way of doing it and they become distracted like squirrel. That's the kind of question we see Judas ask her here. Jesus is not talking about who's revealing what to who. He's talking about doing what I say. And Judas asked this question out of the blue. Well, what about... And I love Jesus' response because it's like one of the few times maybe I'm a little bit like Jesus because I'll be explaining something to my kids and they'll ask the squirrel question out of the blue, has nothing to do with the instruction I'm giving. And what does Jesus do with Judas' question? He just re-speaks the same thing again. 
He goes right back to the beginning. Hey, Jesus answered him and said, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. He goes right back to what was most important about this conversation. Jesus' response is a dodging kind of response in this case, just like we do with our kids when they're focused on the wrong part of what we're telling them. I wonder if you ever get tired of hearing the Holy Spirit repeat certain things in your life. Could I just suggest that maybe when that's happening to us, it's because we're having a squirrel moment and when we should be having a pay attention to what he's saying to us moment. You see, it's actually not that anything changed in what Jesus was saying. Nothing had changed about the revelation he intended to bring. They just weren't understanding where they were at in that timeline yet. Jesus also said that the world will know you are my disciples by how you love one another in John 13, 35. Let's just read that together. John 13, 34, 35 says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. The mark that is on us because of Jesus is seen by this world in how we truly love our neighbors as ourselves. The mark that is on us because of Jesus that pleases God is that we love him with all our heart, our soul, and our mind. Everything that Jesus came for was for these two commandments. Everything that Jesus needs to do in your life will be realized in these two commandments. Now here's the hard truth. We are hopeless to keep those two let alone the 613 and whatever other laws we are faced with today in this world. We can't even keep the two that God gave that should be the easiest and the most simple. But you know there's something beautiful in this because the simple fact is that I need Jesus. You need Jesus to do these simple two things. I need Jesus to help me love God with all my heart, my mind, my soul, my strength. I need the help of Jesus to love my neighbor as I love myself. In fact, I need Jesus' help to love myself the way I should love myself. And I'm sure you'll find yourself in the same place too. So how are you doing as a disciple of Jesus this morning? We've talked about how to do that in the last few weeks, but today, once again, I want to place it in front of you. Maybe you don't have a relationship with him. Maybe you've never discovered what it's like to have God speak to you, to have the assurance of salvation, the assurance of heaven in your life. But you can have it today by bending your will to him, by asking him to forgive your sin, and by choosing to become a disciple. We confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, that God raised him from there. We believe these things in our heart, and it births something in us. We become like him. I also touched on baptism this morning. And if you haven't been water baptized, we'd like to help you get there. There's something miraculous that happens, and I'm just going to take 45 seconds of your time right now to share. My daughter Mara, my youngest daughter, has been a kid who is shy, who is afraid for unknown reasons and unknown things all the time. She is the one who will knock on our door at night. And several months ago, Mara decided she wanted to be baptized. And so she went through our class. We got to talk with her, pray with her, and we immersed her in the water. 
and I want to tell you something miraculous happened in my little girl's life. When she came up out of the water, she was a different person. And we noticed there was this new boldness in her life, that she would speak her mind, and, and she would say profound things about her relationship with God. And she would sing, and, and she had always sung and kind of been a little worshiper, but there was just something profoundly more powerful about who she was. And Amy asked her one day, and this is what she said. She said, I got baptized. And we just had that tearful moment that only a mom and dad can have when we see something miraculous happen in the lives of our children. Being a disciple of Jesus is not hard, it's not complicated, and it doesn't have to be difficult. You can choose to do it today. We'd love to walk you through it. We'd love to talk you through it. You can reach, into us, reach out to us on social media, through Instagram, through Facebook, through our website. We'd love to put a real live person in touch with you to talk about any questions you might have about a relationship with Jesus. Let me pray for you as we close today. Jesus, I thank you that you have made complicated things easier. And that while it's still difficult for us to get our minds around laying down our life, that you have actually made it so simple in that when we begin to make the confession of faith in you immediately by who you are, you begin to bring life into the dead parts of who we are and something begins to change. Lord, I pray that each person this morning, wherever they at, would be met with your courage to respond to what you're speaking to them. We ask, Lord, once again for your protection over our homes, our families. We pray for the welfare of our neighbors, of our cities, of our governments, God, that you would heal our land, that you would heal the sicknesses that we're facing, Lord, that you would deliver us uh, from the oppression of being confined and restricted so much, God. Lord, give us your peace that passes all understanding for all who put their hope in your name, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us in another podcast from Generations Church. If you enjoyed listening today, please subscribe to our podcast channel to get a new one each week. For additional information or to partner with us, please check out our website at www.genchurch.ca.